Today, I would be reading from Romans 16, 1 through 9. I will be reading it in Farsi, uh, the national language in Iran, and then in English. Hear the word of the Lord. تا او را در خداوند به طور شایسته مقدسین بپذیرید و هر چیزی که به شما محتاج باشد او را اعانت کنید زیرا که او بسیاری را و خود مرا نیز معاونت مینمود سلام برسانید به پرسکلا و اکیلا همکاران من در مسیح عیسی که در راه جان من گردنهای خود را نهادند و نم به من تنهایی ممنون ایشان هستم بلکه همه کلیساهای امتها کلیسا را, در... در... کلیسا را که در خانه ایشان است و حبیم به من اپینتولوس را که برای مسیح نوبر آسیاس سلام رسانید و مریم را که برای شما زحمت بسیار کشیده سلام گویید و اندرونیکوس و یونیاس خیشان مرا که با من اسیر می بودند سلام نمایید که مشهور در میان رسولان هستند و قبل از من در مسیح شدند و امپلیاس را که در خداوند حبیب من است سلام برسانید و اوربانوس که با من در کار مسیح رفیق است و استاخیز حبیب مرا سلام نمایید Now in English. I commend to you uh, our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sancria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of people, of his people, and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Jesus Christ. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the ch churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my uh, dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, the co my, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys, May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. You may be seated. Without saying too much more, we should be grateful that uh, God's goodness uh, envelops us, right? That he included us in the gospel as he included all nations in the gospel and the invitation to it. Mm. Well, welcome to November, friends. Welcome 
A few days ago, Kathy and I were out hiking. It's a bit chilly, but we were still seeing lots of green, right? I mean, isn't it incredible? Now, I love, I love the fall, and I love the spring, and I love that God, in his grace, elongated fall this year. Amen? Oh, yeah, I <laughs> see that. Oh, man, it's just been so sweet. I'm not looking forward too much to the what comes after. But, hey, it is coming, and it is the way it is. We are in a three-week series called Grateful For. While we're still not bound by the agribusiness that we were centuries before, we are wrapped in its cycles still today. Fall is a season when crops are harvested, most often, and we ready our, ourselves for the season uh, that will be not mentioned by name at this point. When the crops are brought in, there's just a celebration of God's goodness, of harvest, right? I mean, it's just a wonderful thing when you can bring the crops in, and if you weren't raised on a farm or hobby, you know, did whatever in the farm, you may not know that, but it is a beautiful thing. Uh, it's hard, it's laborious, but it's beautiful, right? Grain dryers that are running, and you can see them across from the school that you go to. <laughs> I mean, and that type of thing. You know, the combines, the tractors, the trucks, all of them out, and then all of them pretty much in. I mean, it's kind of just a change, right? Biblically, the Feast of Booze, or Sukkoth, uh, is the harvest celebration, right? The Feast of Booze, uh, where they celebrate what God has given, they, they, they bring in those uh, flavors that are birthed at that time and, and then uh, eat them. Gratefulness, gratefulness though, while we celebrate it in this season and it seems rather cyclical, is something that really needs to captivate and capture our hearts every day of our lives. Every day of our lives. But it is good to have it anchored to a season to remind us, right? To kind of uh, remember. Paul in Romans 16 has this list at the end. And you kind of come to the end of, the, of not only Romans 16, but you may come to the end of a lot of his letters and kind of go, who are these people? And what is he saying? And why is he greeting them? And the reality is, in, in Romans 16, I think there are 26 or 29 people that he commends, and only a few of them scholars actually know. That's it. But this is the incredible thing. What can we see there? And that's kind of what captivated me when I, when I rolled up on Romans 16 and went, whoa, what's happening right here? What is it that's taking place here? And so there will be three themes that we'll bring to you. There's probably a far more that you could dig out, and I would commend you, as Phoebe was commended, to dig out But uh, out of this. But we're going to talk about co-laborers this week. Next week, we're going to talk about hospitality. And the last week, we're going to talk about the gospel. Just simply grateful for uh, co-laborers, for hospitality, and for the gospel. We all like to be on teams where we know somebody has our back, don't we? That they're, that they're, they're, they're not 
they're, they're looking out for us. They're, they're caring for us. We like to know that that's a, that's a thing, right, with a common goal. Whether you win or you lose, you like to know that there are people on your team that are just pulling as hard as you are or praying for you as hard as they can. Jesus, in his wonderful way, doesn't leave us out of that. Neither did God in the Old Testament. Yahweh in the Old Testament, he invited the nation of Israel in. But Jesus invites us into this co-laboring with him for the Father's will in the kingdom. If I didn't go any further, I, I would want you to be captured by this very simple thought. He invites you into the co-laboring for his kingdom. Can you imagine it? The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creation of everything we see. He says, hey, join me. Join me in this partnership, this co-laboring for the greater work of the world. Every once in a while, when I've been on the river with my kayaks or with other people, it's fun to watch uh, a crewing team on the Huron River or even actually at Ford Lake. I've never seen them out there, but I know that they, they do it out there. And everybody on it sits, in, sits as still as they can, right, in their seats, using their oars and their legs and their bodies and in this, this combined work of getting across the lake as smoothly, because that's how you accomplish quickly, as you can. There's something beautiful about that. There's something wonderful about watching uh, uh, rowing teams, whether in the Olympics, they, they hop in and they, they do this thing that's just so rhythmic, right? It's the same way with, I think, the co-laboring in the kingdom. We, we really hunger deep within us. If we got below the surface, we would really hunger deep below that for this partnership, this co-laboring for the common good of each man and woman, boy and girl to come and know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And because we want that, it's because we realize the experience we've had. We have been transformed, even in the midst of the suffering, even in the midst of the hardship and of this life. We realize that this is the only true thing that will make a change. I was talking to somebody this week specifically about, uh, as you know, there's been a, uh, a meeting of leadership, uh, leadership heads around the world in Glasgow, Scotland, right? And to have this, this common reflection had in, in one space for the creation care of the world. It's something that we don't often experience, but we, even in our conversation, it was kind of interesting, just the, the, the resonance of like, oh, there are people not just here, not, it's not just a concern for mine, but it's a concern for people around the world that they want to pray that we care for our creation in the best way possible. Now, their con- conversation can go a lot of different ways in that, and I get it. But it's, it's kind of that idea is we want to know, hey, wait a second, this, this very thing that God has given us, the, the earth, we're going to care for it. And I want to be on that team to care for it. That was the expression being made. There's much we can do individually for God. I mean, we can. But we're not intended to do things individually for God. 
we are, we are, are called forward to do it communally. I mean, individually, think of the prophets of the Old Testament. They weren't like anybody else. So they were kind of lone rangers. I'm reading through Ezekiel. You want to talk about some strange stuff that God had Ezekiel do. And others throughout the prophets, right? It's just weird. They stand alone, but it really was this idea of standing out to pull people in, to be a part of a team, to co-labor with them. And it's, it's, that's the call that God has on us. And that's what we see in Romans 16. But maybe we need to clarify a few terms before we move too quickly forward. Who are co-laborers in the kingdom anyway? How does Jesus classify them and what does he say about them? In Matthew 12, if you want to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 12, it's right towards the end of the chapter, verses 46 through 50. Jesus uh, is is uh, doing his ministry in this kind of this standout uh, passage or few verses, few sentences that is caught in Matthew. And it's to all the people who, who have joined him and have been invited in to come and follow, that invitation to be a part of the kingdom. He's, it says this, while Jesus was talking to the crowd, he was He was doing ministry. He's being surrounded by people as Jesus most often was unless he was off by himself. His mother and brother, brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. They're like, hey, go get Jesus out of there. We don't think he's doing things quite right. Actually, that is kind of the tenor behind it. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to those who were asking this question, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. I don't think you can get any more pointed than that about Jesus' invitation not only to salvation, but to be part of the kingdom and living out the kingdom. So let's just phrase it this way. A co-laborer is anyone who lives the life and love of Jesus. Because we know at the end of, we'll get to it, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, whoever puts this into practice. Whoever puts these things into practice. Jesus says to the twelves, the, the disciples, the Methedes, Math, uh, and to the 72 that he sent out, anyone else who would dare to come and follow to do the very th- same things that he did with the very same motive that he did them. All who choose to follow Jesus choose to live, love, and follow him into the reality of the kingdom, bringing it to bear in their world today. That's what a co-laborer is. Not just salvation from hell, and if the images are of a fire, but it's greater. It's bringing the kingdom to bear where you live, work, and play. Think about this. The, the 12 were given opportunities to be and do what Jesus did while he was with them. And the reality is this is our consolation. They didn't get it when he was with them, always that they, they failed and often came back and went, whoa, how, why did it work for you and why didn't it work for us? 
But what Jesus taught them in this rhythm was that we're to be about the practices out of who we are, out of the motive of the heart, out of being his. What is it that he really specifically calls us to? Yesterday, a few of us were challenged by this seminar we were in, but Jesus specifically says this. He's departing, and he says in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, you know this. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is his call, not just for Melanie or Kevin or Kathy or Tommy or Steve. This is the call on anybody who says yes to Jesus who says they're going to follow, that you will go, you will make disciples, you will be baptizing them and then teaching them to obey what? Not what the world says, but what he has practiced in front of them, what he has taught them. So what does it look like co-laborers? Well, it can look a lot of different ways. I mean, each one of us who claim Jesus in this room, we could say we're locking arms with one another. But I, I thought to illustrate it a little bit more vividly, I would like to do it this way. While we're all connected in some way, shape, or form, I, I just want the, the people who are serving with a community meal and story to just stand up. Just stand up. Right where you are. If you're, if you're involved in some way with Community Meal and Story, there's Tommy, our t- lead on Community Meal and Story. There are several others who are not here. They are a team. Each one of them has a part to play, whether it's Kathy as a table leader or Daphne who's making the, helping to make the meals along with Tina or it's, or it's Connie or Jessica who now are starting to, who are, are, that's their church, who are now starting to invite people through the door and make, it, make them feel welcome. They all have a part to play. They're co-laborers in the kingdom. And so if they were to write a note about their experience of community meal, they would write it like Paul. Man, I thank, thank Tommy for leading us and, and really exhorting us to move in the direction of those that are least, those who are left out, and those who are lost. I, I'm grateful, greet Agree, Daphne, because she knows how to she knows how to cook a meal and make it special and fill a stomach, but make a pathway for the gospel. You see, this is co-laboring. This is locking arms. Now we all have a part to play. Even if you contribute, you bring and donate, we need you to do that. This is the part of co-laboring. He calls us to bring the gospel not only in just in the fact of releasing people from their sins, but also releasing them to the freedom that they can have in the kingdom. These are co-laborers of the Father's will. Phoebe was a deacon who brought the letter to Romans. It was a financial supporter to Paul, the benefactor. She supported what was going on. Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives for the benefit of the Gentile church. Eponidas, convert to Jesus, not just any, but the first. Would you like to break that ice? That would be incredible. Andraconus and Junia, they like to be jail cells with Paul, right? Yeah. All who are mentioned in these verses of Romans 16 hold a special place for Paul within this Roman letter. 
And my question, though, is, man, how do we stay co-laboring together? If this is the call that Jesus has on us, how do we stay in this place and space where we recognize and realize and live in a daily reminder that there are others that are with me in the fight and fray? They're co-laboring that we can remind ourselves in gratefulness of their goodness. There are a couple of things that I want to point out. There are many, many, but there are just a couple that I want to point out to you today that I think that we can participate, we can put into practice that will help to remind us of the good that is happening, the, the, the good that is happening amongst us and amongst others. Co-laborers pray for a Jesus life for one another. Now you may go, oh, no duh. I'm not sure it's a no duh. Now listen to this. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 1. Uh, Romans becomes our platform in which we jump into some other passages of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, grateful for. Again, Paul, not only in Romans, but he starts a letter out to the Ephesians. I am thankful, I am grateful for you, remembering you in my prayers. Simply this, folks, Paul prays for them. He just doesn't bring them into his mind to go, oh, I'm, I'm thankful for them. He brings them before the Father and he presents them. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of, of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I'm like, wait a second. Don't they already know him? There are depths of our relationship with God we have not even plumbed yet. And Paul prays this into the Ephesians and said, oh, may you plumb the depths of who he is. He wants their minds to be filled and be led into creativity, into the newness and freshness of this relationship with God. He goes on, I pray that the eyes of your heart, this phrase, you may understand it, is just the deep interior part of our lives, the souls may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and, the whole, and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's, a, that's an incredible prayer. Power, riches and inheritance and a future hope. that the Lord that created them, they would recognize this, is theirs. And this is not just available to those who partner in a platform called pastor or evangelist or leader or some sort. This is available to every single person, everyone, you, today. <laughs> you just have to acknowledge it. We get to that. How many of you would like to be prayed for this way? That you knew somebody or somebody, so let's just use the number five, it seems to be a good number today. How would you like it if you knew that five people were praying just this simple prayer for you every single day? Just releasing God in your, in your way. Wouldn't that be powerful? 
praying for co-laborers, free supernatural power, incomparable inheritance, and heavenly hope as we serve Jesus and his kingdom. I believe it's a releasing. There is a co-laboring that happens when we pray in this way. Not only is somebody released to do it, but we're then participating in the, the releasing of that power to that individual who needs it most and needs it always. Paul's prayers for his co-laborers is dynamically effectual for them, for the message and the spread of Jesus' message and the whole gospel. It's not just for safety, friends. It's probably just the opposite. It's, it's a world, we're praying in this world in which we storm the gates of hell. The mission of love, of the love of Jesus that he gave his life for us and that we give it away is not one of safety, of staying home, not entering into the places and spaces of the world. It is one that we enter them, but we don't enter them without prayer. Hmm. And it's always for God's glory, not ours. So the second thing I want to uh, just remind you that, and bring to you that, that co-laborers have in common and that kind of fuels this co-laboring, this grateful for partnership that we find in Romans 16 is this, co-laborers live in joy which fuels generosity. We learn to live in joy that fuels generosity. 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 through 5 says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that has been given the, given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. I just want to remind you, and if you know this story, if you don't, then I would commend you to read the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But Jesus points out the person who has much who gave a fair amount of money but not to the point of sacrifice. And the woman who gave her all, two bits, two pennies or whatever. Entirely on their own, back to the passage, entirely on them, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in his service, in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Now, this is the beautiful thing that happens within uh, the idea of co-laboring and that Paul is grateful for. He was a benefactor of Phoebe's generosity. He was able to continue the ministry that he was about because they poured into him. I believe that there was also some hospitality. We'll get into that in next week's. But there was just this, this inflow, Right? And even here, we have this Paul's commending other things that are happening here, but he's commending the Macedonian church who didn't have what it took to give, really. Comparing it to the Corinthian church that probably did have much to give because of where they lived and who they were and how they did their life. And he says, oh, look, listen to this. Their joy, their joy in what? Their joy in knowing God's goodness, his gift of grace that was given to him, what they could not earn, 
which they could not buy, which they could never attain, was given to them. Grace of Jesus. This gift was given to them. When they thought about that, guess what happened? They're like, oh, we, we can't, we, we never can outgive God, right? But this is what happens. See, co-laborers give to the Lord first. Did you catch that? They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. They surrendered themselves before the Lord and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to give? Where do you want me to be? See, generosity is not just financial. Generosity is whole life. Every part of us giving it where it needs to be and how it needs to be given. So if... If those are parts of what it means to be co-laborers, partners in the kingdom, how do we keep them in front of us? Well, I just want to give you a few tools. A few tools this morning. Uh, it, it's time to take out your hand. One or the other, it doesn't matter. Yeah, your hand is a great tool. And so I want to teach you how to pray for one another so that it's close to you. You can always remember it. So co-laborers prayer, that's what I'm calling it. The co-laborers prayer, and I'm going to give it to you by example. And I'm going to pray for Mark. Father, would you open Mark's eyes to the beauty you have for them, for the wisdom and revelation that you have before him. Lord, would you allow him to know you better, better than he knows you right in this moment. Lord, would you allow him to plumb the depths of who you are today. Father, I, I pray that you will remind him of the hope that you have already granted him, the future that is his, that is found, that's found in the great inheritance that came through your son, Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. And Father, would you remind him the very power that revived his life from death to life is the, the power that raised Jesus from the grave? today those places and spaces that he is going to go those people he's going to talk to he has the ability he has the authority it's within his grasp to breathe life and give life it's as simple as that it's as simple as that so living in joy allows us the generosity of giving of living in joy of generosity is giving God first place in our lives. I, I want to go back to the hand because what's so, so important about the hand is we forget who we are. You know that? It's all about identity. That's what Paul is praying for his Ephesians brothers and sisters. He's like, rem remind them, remind them that the inheritance that they have is God's and is theirs. Remind them of the power that lies within them because their identity is no longer what it was but what they are in the new creation. Remind them of the future that is not about here but we're just passing through. I was with one of our, our people who are, are not long for this life um, this week with, uh, with his wife and just we reminded one another that we're just passing through. That the, the sorrow we feel, the grief that we feel, 
in some of the places, and it may not just be about death, but it can be other places and spaces we feel like we're just passing through. And we have a future hope that's found in Jesus. And when we lose sight of that, friends, we lose sight of direction, where we're heading, and what's really, really important. So living in joy of generosity is giving God first place in our lives. I, I have a simple prayer. I was, I was reminded of a, I think it was Tony Campola. I was reading Tony Campola uh, many years ago. And he made this comment. He said, before I even get out of the bed, I have, to, I have to have this prayer that I say to the Lord before I get out. It wasn't this one, by the way. But I have to, I have to pray, Lord, this is your day. And just simply a reminder that we surrender ourselves to Jesus first and that's where life comes from is so vitally important. So I don't know if you like this one. You can make your own, but I thought it was kind of cute. Before my feet hit the floor, I declare Jesus as Lord. Some way, shape, some, in some way or shape, I think, we have to declare that Jesus is Lord before we head out the door. We have to remind ourselves that, that he's first before all things and that when we put him first, as, as we're reminded in Matthew 6.33, Jesus reminds us, you put his kingdom, put him first, he'll order everything else. Let me ask you, a little worry, anxiety this week? Concern that was out of control? Sleepless night? It may just be uh, not the pizza you ate. It may just be that you have things out of order. Your priorities are out of order. You're not putting Jesus first. You're putting you first or someone else first or something else first. We're reminded in Exodus chapter 20 that we're not to put anything else before God. I'm the one who redeemed you from slavery, right? So put no other gods before me. And yet, that is one of our constant struggles. Mm. The Macedonian church reminded them, looked to the Lord, the gift of grace, they were filled with joy, they gave, but they gave first to Jesus. They reminded themselves of whose they were. 